Hello and welcome to this podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week ended 1st April 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This week, CAR-Ts move into earlier treatment. Sanofi bets big on super antibodies. Takeaways from the world's largest dermatology conference. China moves towards imported COVID vaccines. And R&D experts discuss the superbug threat. CAR-T therapies have been a welcome addition to the treatment paradigm for patients with relapsed and refractory multiple myeloma and large B-cell lymphoma, or LBCL, who have gone through several prior rounds of treatment and run out of good options. But within the next few months, CAR-Ts may take their first steps into earlier lines of treatment, raising the question of how physicians will adapt to use of these complex and costly treatments in the new settings. Mandy Daxon writes that Gilead Sciences is slated to get a decision from the US FDA by 1st April regarding its supplemental biologics license application for Yescarta in the second-line treatment of LBCL. The action date for Bristol-Myers Squibb's competing CD19-targeting CAR-T therapy, Brianzi, is 24th of June. Data for both treatments in second-line LBCL presented at the American Society of Haematology meeting last December were described as practice-changing, but it will still take time to move into earlier treatment settings with these autologous treatments where off-the-shelf chemotherapy has been the standard of care for many years, with about two-thirds of patients achieving remission after first-line treatment. CAR-T therapies approved to date are manufactured specifically for each patient. The process is complex and manufacturing capacity for at least one of these autologous treatments BMS and 270-BIOS B-cell maturation antigen-targeting abecma for fifth-line or later multiple myeloma has not been able to keep up with demand due to an industry-wide lentivirus shortage. The FDA approved abecma in March 2021, which was followed at the end of February this year by Johnson & Johnson's and Legend Biotech's Carvicti, also for myeloma after at least four lines of therapy. Janssen and Legend plan a phase launch to make sure treatment centres are prepared to administer Carvicti, while at the same time the companies ramp up manufacturing capabilities. Meanwhile, studies are underway in first through fourth line multiple myeloma, with data coming in these settings as soon as this year. In fact, Janssen and Legend reported results for Carvicti from two small datasets in earlier lines of myeloma treatment at the ASH meeting. And in LBCL, Yescarta has generated early positive results in the frontline setting, in addition to the second-line results that Gilead's Kite Pharma presented at ASH. The article also includes doctors' views on the use of CAR-Ts in lymphoma and multiple myeloma, and a table of ongoing earlier-line LBCL and myeloma CAR-T clinical trials and expected readouts. Sanofi is betting big on a promising new platform to develop super antibodies, which could open up new possibilities in oncology, immunology and inflammation via a partnership with IgM Biosciences, potentially worth more than $6 billion in milestones. Andrew McConaughey writes that the partnership kicks off with a $150 million upfront payment, with the French pharma company also expressing an interest in buying up to 100 million of IGM's non-voting common stock in a public financing, which the biotech issued following the deal announcement. That reflects Sanofi's confidence in the science behind the company's research, 
based on an existing collaboration that has been underway for the past few years on undisclosed targets. The deal also continues Sanofi's CEO Paul Hudson's spending spree on M&A and licensing deals in recent years, a strategy fueled by revenues from its mega-blockbuster anti-inflammatory Dupixent. These include two other recently announced alliances with CGen and Blackstone Life Sciences in oncology, a key area where the company is still not a major player. The IGM collaboration will focus on the creation and development, manufacture and commercialization of IgM antibody agonists against three oncology targets and three autoimmunity inflammation targets, which will be created in addition to the biotech's existing pipeline. The California-based company is a leader in developing IgM antibodies, which have the potential to outperform the IgG antibodies, the classic Y-shaped antibody, which is the basis of nearly all the antibody therapies currently on the market. While IgGs have two binding domains, IgMs have no fewer than 10, offering the potential to generate a stronger T-cell response and destroy cancer cells more effectively. The Sanofi deal is split between oncology and autoimmunity information, with the terms differing slightly between them, with IgM receiving a bigger payout for success in the latter category. As the American Academy of Dermatology meeting ended in Boston, Scripps' Kevin Grogan took a look at some of the key data presented at the Congress, covering the latest advances in the hot area of atopic dermatitis, alopecia and butterfly skin. Sanofi raised its sales peak ambition for Dupixent to more than 13 billion euros from 10 billion at an immunology investor event on 29th March, a couple of days after presenting more promising data at the AAD meeting on the blockbuster Imprurgo Nodularis. Having unveiled top-line results last October, the French major presented the full data set from the 160-patient PRIME2 trial in Boston, showing that 37% of Dupixent patients experienced a meaningful reduction in itch compared with 22% for placebo at week 12. Data from the study and the confirmatory PRIME trial will form the basis of regulatory filings planned to begin shortly. Dupixent, which is partnered with Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, is already approved for atopic dermatitis, asthma and chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyposis. And by 2025, Sanofi expects an additional 11 submissions across indications and age groups. Competing with Dupixent in atopic dermatitis seems a daunting task, but Eli Lilly and Almerol intend to give it a good go after presenting detailed results of the Advocate program evaluating the investigational IL-13 inhibitor Lebrikizumab. Data released last summer from the Phase 3 Advocate program showed that treatment with Lebrikizumab resulted in at least 75% skin clearance in more than half of people with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. Lilly also presented positive late-stage data on oleumiant, which confirmed the effectiveness of the oral once-daily JAK inhibitor as a treatment for the hair loss condition alopecia. See the article for roundups of other key presentations at the meeting. Facing unprecedented and staged lockdowns in its biggest city, Shanghai, China is revising its course and is now moving to supporting the importation of foreign mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. Brian Yang writes that although the government didn't specify which vaccine, only one such product, licensed to Shanghai Fosun Pharmaceutical from BioNTech, is currently pending approval in the country. However, its clearance has been stalled for months. 
China may soon finally acknowledge that its domestically developed mRNA vaccines are still months away and concede that a foreign candidate is actually needed to fight its worst outbreak in two years. The 29th March announcement came amid massive and two-stage lockdowns imposed in Shanghai. Starting from 5am on 28th March, half of the city, divided by the Huangpu River, had been placed under strict curbs until the same time on Friday 1st April, and the other half of the city will enter lockdown thereafter until April 5th. So far in the pandemic, Shanghai had avoided large-scale lockdowns as a result of China's very strict COVID-0 policies, but the fast spread of the Omicron variant meant the Shanghai government considered shifting its strategy away from a previously targeted approach to that which most other Chinese municipal governments had been employing, strict lockdowns and mass testing. Shanghai said in the announcement that it supports the importation of effective treatments and mRNA vaccines. Fosun's CEO most recently indicated a green light for its in-licensed vaccine could come within months. But since the last update, last July, it's been over nine months and many suspect that China was waiting for its homegrown mRNA candidates before approving a foreign imported one, given the room provided by the COVID-0 policy. One industry observer sees Shanghai now likely to approve foreign mRNA vaccines. It should be the case, otherwise the government won't make it so public. The CEO of Chinese vaccines firm Bravovax, Wu Kei, told Scrip. The first could well be the Fosun BioNTech one, he added. Finally, a panel of R&D experts discussed technologies like Protax and multi-specific antibodies, a superbug that could cause more damage than COVID-19, and the need for harmonised regulation that recognises risk is essential to discovery. According to the World Health Organization's coronavirus dashboard, The global deaths from COVID-19 so far have been 6.1 million. However, drug-resistant bacteria could kill many more, and a study published in The Lancet indicated that antimicrobial resistance, or AMR, resulted in 1.27 million deaths worldwide in 2019, Viva Ravi writes. The review on antimicrobial resistance commissioned by the UK government has predicted that AMR could kill 10 million people every year by 2050. While not all are convinced about the accuracy of this forecast, most experts agree on the seriousness of the threat. Should there ever be a superbug combining the resistance mechanisms of vancomycin-resistant enterococci with methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, it will be worse than COVID-19, I can tell you. And so, let's just hope that never exists. Klaus Urbans, who's Global Head of Discovery and Development Technologies at EMD Serono, the biopharmaceutical business of Merck KGAA, warned at a panel discussion at the Organisation of Pharmaceutical Producers of India's annual summit. Urbans wished some of the modern technologies being used in a field like oncology could be applied to antibiotics. Using an antibody with a radiotherapy attached to it that could bind selectively to antibiotics filtered into bugs could be something very interesting and very specific to counter AMR, he said, but you don't see much of it. Unfortunately, many of the technologies that we saw in the small molecule field didn't really cut it as it came to antimicrobials. High-throughput screening, for instance, was not an area where it was really very successful to deliver new antibiotics. We are mostly drawing from the pool of natural products, and it's also getting increasingly difficult to find new things there, he added. While Big Pharma is not laying enough emphasis on developing new generation antibiotics, COVID-19 has exacerbated the situation. 
While AMR is perceived as being prevalent only in low- and middle-income countries, the truth is that it occurs across the developed world too. According to the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, at least 2 million people in the US get antibiotic-resistant infections each year, and at least 23,000 die as a result. This points to the need for companies to take a global approach. Urbans also expressed the belief that RNA technologies will play a dominant role in the future. We will see more medications like short interfering RNA and other things, even antisense oligonucleotides are having a huge comeback. That's all for this time. Be sure to log in to check out these stories in full, which are also linked in the article accompanying this podcast. These stories are just a fraction of the content published in script last week, and if you're not already a subscriber, take out a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.